I pray that, Father, that you would just, uh, Lord, be our guide this morning. Be our strength, Father. We thank you for that. Lord, we are, we are sensitive to what it is that you're saying, what you're doing right now in our lives. And, Lord, more than anything today, we want to say we need you, God. We need you, Father. We need you this moment. We need you this hour. We need you for life, Father. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just come now in your strength and your presence and put your arms around, Lord, that one individual this morning that's coming to the sanctuary. And, and it's no accident that they're here, that you would just lift them and give them the strength that they're looking for. Lord, we love, your, we love you and we thank you for your tender touch this morning. Lord, thank you for making it well with our soul. Thank you for being the hope, Lord, that we need for life. So, Father, we just come and we just listen. Our hearts are open. And we submit to you. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord. And thank you guys. Again, I want to thank our worship team gals and uh, our band here and the folks in the back. Everybody you did an awesome job this morning. Thank you for just uh, helping us and inviting us to, to walk into the presence of the Lord and to worship. Uh, yeah. So we've had a busy week as a church. I mean, we had multiple things going on. It was exciting. Some of it was the life of the church. Some of it was about your life. And so we do want to just celebrate with the festers and the marriage and uh, now having a, an a addition to their family, a new son-in-law. And I think we have a, uh, I think we have uh, like our ex-major pastor here today. I want to invite Dan Kopp, his lovely wife, his whole family. Dan, would you stand and uh, just the family right there, just stand, take a moment. And uh, I just want to welcome them today, put my arms around you, roll out the red carpet and say welcome. And I'm telling you what, you have b- big shoes to fill. I'm I mean, I still hear about stories of Dan and his wife and the family and, and uh, what an impact you had on Mission Church of the Nazarene. And, and I just want to honor you for that. And uh, uh, I want to say this also. You are welcome anytime, at any time. And you show up, you want to preach, you know, just come on, babe. I'll let you, you can do that as well. And I'll sit and listen. But anyhow, you are welcome. We want to roll the red carpet out for you guys. And you are a loved family. And, uh, and I love you because now we share such a wonderful common denominator in the kingdom of God. And that's beautiful. And so we just want to welcome you to Mission Church of the Nazarene. If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to First Peter. And we're going to be looking at, at chapter 5 and, and looking at verse 5 and 6. And, you know, I, I put in my notes, I normally do not tell jokes, right? Um, now, you laugh. You laugh at me, okay? Uh, I know that happens. You laugh at me sometimes. I don't normally tell jokes. Um, but I, was, I, I came across this one because we're talking about being prepared, you know, as believers, being prepared as Christians. And I came across this story and I thought... <laughs> You know, I want to tell that. And I was trying to fit it into my outline. You know, I was trying to make it look smooth and professional. I can't fit it in. I'm going to tell you this joke. So this old man goes to this lake. It's frozen over, and he, he drills a hole in the ice, and he's wanting to ice fish. And so this man, he sets it up, drills the hole, starts to fish in. He sits there on the chair, you know, all bundled up in the cap on and gloves and the fishing pole, and he's fishing. He's there for like an hour and a half and does not even get a bite. 
right? Not even a bite. Well, then about that time, this boy comes, this very young boy, about 12 years old. He, uh, he comes in and not too far away. Uh, he drills another hole in the ice and he starts his fishing immediately. First time he drops the line, he pulls in a trout. And then he drops the line again. He spends some time and the old guy's kind of looking at this young boy. And so pretty soon the boy catches another trout. I mean, this happens where he now has like a dozen fish on the stringer. And so this man, he cannot stand it any longer, this old guy. So he goes over to the young man and he says, how are you doing that? I've got to ask you. I've been fishing here for years, all my life, and, and I just can't get in a bite. How are you doing this so, you know, so well? And the boy goes, and the old man goes, what? What was that? And the old man says, young man, I can't hear a word that you're saying. And so the young man then spits the contents out of his mouth, and he says, you have to keep the worms warm. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so uh, he was prepared. There it fits. It fits. He was prepared, right? And uh, uh, for his fishing that day. So we have been talking about being prepared. And... uh, and we, we spent some time talking about the macro level. Are we going to get my lapel mic back at all? Yes or no? Okay. All right. So we've been talking about being prepared spiritually. Of course, we started with the macro level, and meaning that as, as the church universal, we know that the church is in crisis. We know that in America, at least in the western part of the, the world, that a church is in crisis, and young people are leaving the church, and they're not coming back. And, and it's something that we need to be aware of and concerned about and work on. Amen. And then we move from the macro level down to, you know, the local church and the local body of Christ. And we are talking about covenant community and that in covenant community and in that covenant and that 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 promise that we we are bound together as members and that membership matters in the church. Amen. That becoming a member, it matters because we really do need each other. Amen. And so we recognize that. And then now, this morning, we're talking about being prepared as a person or as a believer. And, uh, and, and so we're asking, you know, what is the next step? I mean, if we're really to be spiritually prepared for whatever it is that God has for us as we are growing in the grace of the Lord and as we're learning what it means to live out our Christian life, then, then what is the next step? And I find myself coming back to the very basics. In fact, we go to first, uh, first Peter chapter 5, and we begin there looking at verse 5 and verse 6. And I want to invite you just to listen as uh, we're given this very simple instruction. Again, First Peter uh, chapter 5, looking at verse 5 and 6. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. Listen to that, that he might lift you up in due time. And then, in fact, if you jump to verse 6, we read, cast all your anxiety in him because he cares for you. And I think of this idea that we're to cast our anxiety. And, and, and then I pause and I think about this congregation. And I'm almost sure, I'm almost certain this morning that there are some of us in this room today that are experiencing some anxiety. And maybe we're experiencing anxiety because of our work or maybe we're experiencing anxiety because of something that is going on in the family or some dynamic that's that's happening in the home. Or maybe we are experiencing anxiety because we're starting new classes 
or we're making a transition or, or moving to a new house or whatever it might be. But the, the fact is, you see, the promise is that we have a father, we have a God that cares for us. And that we can cast these anxieties upon him. And I believe that this is foundational if we are going to be able to follow through and do what it is that we are asked to do in verse 5 and 6, which is to show ourselves as being humble. We find this theme consistent throughout Scripture. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, 11 and 12, we read there, The greatest among you will be your servants, for he who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And so we have this idea, I mean, we have this theme, this this thought of what does it mean as a believer to be humble. Christian author, pastor A.W. Tozer points out in the first verse I quoted that the Apostle Peter is advising Christian believers to be clothed with humility in all the relationships with one another. And and the idea here actually is the thought that Christian humility should be the identifying mark. I mean, if there is something that that makes us markably Christian, it would be humility. That's what he's saying. And if we imagine that humility is kind of like this, this uniform that we wear, if we're to be clothed in humility then I wonder what would the uniform look like? I mean, if we had some goggles or magic glasses that allowed us to look through and we could see people in their spiritual form, in their spiritual light, I wonder what that humility form would look like. I mean, if it was a uniform that we wear. Now we understand uniforms impact us. I mean, they really do. In fact, in different cultures around the world and different people groups, you know that you look at their uniforms and you see that, that it says something about them. It says something about their status maybe in their people group in which they live. And maybe it has to do with colors or, or garments or some different thing that shows you know us their status about how they have a standing within their community. And in fact, in our society, we have uh, what we call first responders, right? And our first responders are, of course, policemen and firemen and and EMT workers. And they have these uniforms. And when we're out and we're having lunch or dinner and we notice somebody in a uniform, we we notice. I mean, we look and we see, wow, they, they have this uniform on and it means something. In fact, if you are a first responder or have ever been a first responder, you know, a fireman or a policeman or an EMT worker, would you please stand right there where you're at? Any first responders you've served ever as a first responder, would you just please stand right there where you're at? Yes, uh, it can be. Uh, yeah, give them a hand. Yeah. I mean, a little early for Labor Day, but give them a hand. Amen. We want to honor you. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. And gals, you know, we, we want to honor you because uh, because it, it, it matters in our society. In fact, uh, Labor Day was first celebrated in 1882. No, to recognize the impact that these special people have had and made on our society. And so we, we see their uniforms and, and there probably is some kind of emotional connection with them. Even, even military uniforms, whether we agree or, or disagree with that, the, the uniform represents a personal commitment. It, it represents disciplines that, that people have committed to and we recognize that. And, and so I guess the number one reason when I say uniform, the number one reason of a uniform, here it is, is to be identified as a part of a larger entity. You see, we wear the uniform because we're being identified with something that is bigger than ourselves. And when people see the uniform, they say, wow, you're a part of that. 
Well, we come to this passage, here's the parallel for Peter, and he asks the question then, I think in so many words, he asks the question, what does your spiritual uniform look like if we are to clothe ourselves in humility? I mean, if this is the spiritual garment that we are, are to be wearing, I mean, how, you know, how well are we caring for this uniform that we're wearing that is called humility. It's a theme. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in the beginning of the sermon there, he sits down in Matthew and, and he begins to teach and he talks about the meek that shall inherit the earth and the peacemakers shall be called children of God, following a laundry list of other things about, you know, giving to others and, and being loving and having compassion and, and meekness and all these things that I want to coin as signs of the saints. Because if we are wearing the garment that we are called to wear, and it is not just a garment of righteousness, and part of that righteousness is the humility of our Lord, then it's going to have an impact on our life, and it's going to have an impact on our world. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle Peter, shows us that there is a hint of trouble. And you remember in the text, sometimes there's a hint of trouble. And when there's trouble in the text, likely there is trouble in the world. But then also there is a solution in the text because there is a solution in the world. And the solution is always Jesus Christ. But Peter hints at the fact that there is kind of trouble in the text in regards to what, Pete, or what Christians are going to have to go through. He fully develops it a little bit later. But he begins actually in chapter 1, looking at verse 1, he, he speaks about the elect. And, and then there are those that God foreknew. He foreknew them as he foreknows us, as he foreknows those that accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He foreknows them in the fact that he has designed this plan that when we repent of our sins and ask Jesus into our heart, we have everlasting life. We experience and we enjoy salvation in Jesus Christ that is witnessed by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is a part of our initial sanctification or salvation and then entire sanctification. The Holy Spirit gives witness to all this and it's, it's somewhat complex. I understand that, but what he's really addressing is those very small groups of Christian believers in those first few centuries or, or bands of believers that are responding to faith in Jesus Christ and they are beginning to live a different lifestyle in the non-Christian world in which they are set and they are living, a non-Christian world that is a pagan society, and he's saying, look, there's going to be some challenges that you're going to have to face. Face. There are challenges you're going to have to face, and, and that will probably make you a resident alien. I mean, that's an interesting thought that when we follow faith in Jesus Christ and we live out our faith in Christ and we are clothed in humility that we become resident aliens. It's interesting, we have that thought when we think about the refugees that are being brought into our country, and maybe, you know, we want to Americanize the whole thing, but you see, in the context of Scripture, what we learn about, what we see here, is that when we are clothed in humility and the righteousness of Christ, we become resident aliens of this world. And so there's this kind of almost separation that begins to happen because we are those that are in exile and we are living godly lives in a pagan society. Again, the term exile is fitting so perfectly here. You know, the separation that happens because of, of the faith 
that we, we are living in Christ. And, and that's really for these early believers the essence of their troubles. They, they are suffering because they are, are facing tribulation because they are doing good. Listen now, Christian. Because they are doing good, they are being Jesus. And then looking at chapter 8, around verse 8, we read those few verses there. And what's happening again, he's emphasizing or looking up that they are, lifting, they are living for God. They are living for God, so they are facing suffering because they are doing good, they are being Jesus, and they are living for God. So if we are clothed in humility, and if that means that we are now countercultural because we are living a life that's not like the media would describe Christians as, but in fact we are living a life that is so humble and a, a life that is so filled with the holiness of God and we are living a life that is so rightly Christian that people stop and say, wow, there's something about them. I want to be like them. I mean, it, it's a transformative life. And, and, and what he's saying, he's reminding us that, man, in those early years, Christians had a hard time. In, in fact, Christians are familiar with trouble. Christians endured 300 years of Persecution before is really even, you know, kind of established as a norm in this world. And, and government policies and politics were, were against Christians in the very beginning. In fact, historically in 63 A.D., a huge fire broke out in Rome, destroying all but four of the 14 quarters. Rome was divided up into 14 quarters, and this huge fire destroyed all of Rome except about four quarters and guess who got the blame? They're looking for a scapegoat. And so the politicians, way back then, they blamed the Christians. Persecution, you know, came their way for the early believers. Even persecution, physical persecution from other religious groups. The Roman Empire, before it became a, again accepted, it, it, it was in the movement of, 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 of witch hunts on the grandest scale against Christianity. So it's no surprise when trouble in the world comes our way. I mean, if we're clothed in humility and we're living countercultural lives, if, if we wear the dress, I mean, if we're wearing the clothing of Christ and we have this faith that is humble, it will be strikingly countercultural. And, and it will confound people. It will confound people. People will, will be confused and maybe even enamored by the, the fact that you're living a life of humility and, and, and brokenness before, before them. It's interesting that that is almost the opposite of what Jesus shows us. When I mean, in the world that we live, they, they laud and they lift up confidence and they lift up personal achievement. And we understand the world like that. But, but it's interesting that Jesus shows us almost a different pathway. It's interesting that Jesus humbly submits to authority. It's interesting that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. We know that. It's interesting that Jesus, in humility, accomplishes more than any other single individual culturally or spiritually in all of history. It's interesting that the second person of the triune Godhead becomes flesh, not as a king, but he comes flesh as a humble servant. It's interesting that Jesus was seeping with humility and meekness at every step, in every act, in every turn. Jesus Christ was humble. As we think about the 40 days he spent in the desert, as he was humble before the Lord in the time in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was saying, oh Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. But in humility, he follows through with the plan of God. Amen. Every turn. And maybe the question is why? Why such humility? Which is a good question to ask. Sometimes 
We have these congregational blocks. I mean, we don't hear even the rest of the message or what's being said because we have this question of why. And until we answer the question of why, we can't hear what's, what's being shared. And, and maybe the question is why humility? Well, here's the answer. Because humility seemingly it shows us that in our earthly weakness, that is how the light of the grace of God shines upon us or shines in our life. I mean, that, that, that is how people experience and see the grace of God and the power of God in our life is, is when we are humbled before Him. I mean, that's why we, we turn to the grace that's found in, in Peter's text. Look at verse 5. Go back to the text this morning. In verse 5, we read there, God favors the humble. God favors the humble. Then verse 6, humble yourselves and he will lift you up. That's the lifting grace of God. It's the lifting grace of God that is lifting you in your circumstance, that's lifting you in your situation. It's the grace of God that is the lifting force of the presence of God in our life as he puts his arms around us and he lifts us up. That is the lifting grace of God. Amen. God brings humility into our lives and there is a difference of whether we pay attention or whether we do not pay attention. And the question I want to ask myself is how many times am I going to have to cycle through it until I begin to get it and I humble myself before the Lord because God wants to do something deep inside of us when we humble ourselves before Him. Amen. You know, there are five kinds of humility I want to share with you this morning. Five kinds of humility that work in our life. Here's the first one. There is the humility that comes from sickness. In fact, in John eleven four, we read, Sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. It's interesting. I mean, to read that verse in, in regards to this idea of sickness. In fact, um, uh, I, I like this one quote that I came across. Somebody wrote it sometime. They wrote this. The view of life from a sickbed is different than our view from the office. <laughs> And that's so true. So there's this humility that comes to us through, through sickness. The second kind of humility is there's a humility from design. I mean, there's, there's something that's woven in the fabric of some people. It seems like it's part of their temperament or their personality. I mean, something about them, they just tend to be a humble person. Have you ever met anybody like that? And, and they're just kind of humble, you know, at every turn. And so we have humility from design. Then there is humility from persecution. And people, only people that's been through persecution can really understand what that means. You know, what it means to be persecuted and, and to be humbled because of that. And maybe if you ever met somebody that's been through persecution, it would be good to sit down and get to know them and walk with them a little bit. Because there is something that we can learn from that. So there's humility from persecution and then there is humility from death. And we see the frailty of life when somebody nearby dies and we have that loss in life and we experience that loss and we're humbled by that loss because we realize how small we really are and how weak we really are. Humility through death. And then there is the last one here, and that is humility from sin. Humility from sin. And when we recognize the sin in our life that leads us to repentance... But if there's no repentance, no wonder we have trouble in our life because we've not come to the place of humility and we've not repented. 
You see, it's, it's God's grace that helps us with humility. It's God's grace that shines a light on, on His power and what He can do in us and through us as we are humbled before Him. And it's in that humility that God will bring to light and He will shine upon your soul and your life what needs to happen and what work needs to be accomplished and what He wants to bring to completion in your life as you feel the light of His His love shine upon you and you become humbled before Him. It transforms lives. We see this in our world around us. Many years ago, Christian professor Stuart Blackie of the University of Edinburgh was listening to his students as they presented oral readings. When one young man rose to begin his recitation, he held his book in the wrong hand, his left hand. The professor thundered, take your book in your right hand and be seated, young man. At this harsh rebuke, the student held up his right arm. He didn't have a right hand. The other students shifted uneasily in their chairs, and for a moment, the professor hesitated, and then he made his way to the student, put his arm around him, and with tears now beginning to come out of his eyes, the professor said, I never knew about it, son. Please, will you forgive me? His humble apology made a lasting impact on that young man. The story was being told sometime later in a larger gathering of believers At the close of the meeting, a man came forward and turned to the crowd and raised his right arm. It ended at the wrist. He said, I was that student. Professor Blackaby led me to Christ, but he never could have done it if he had not made the wrong right. In humility, grace abounds (laughs) and forgiveness thrives. In humility, God begins to do that deeper work in us. As we are humbled before him and we are broken before him so that his grace might shine through us, his grace might shine in you as you say, Lord, I'm humbled this morning. I want to invite us just to bow our heads for a moment. Let's do that. Let's bow our heads and and let's close our eyes together. Precious Father in heaven. I thank you so much for your presence this morning. I I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is, Lord, just kind of laid the groundwork for us. You've been working on us, Lord. You've been working on the soil of our heart. And, and Lord, you've been shaping us and, 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 and making us more like you, really, God. And I believe it's not an accident that we've come here today. That, Lord, that you're, you're speaking to that one person, maybe that young man or that, that, that woman this morning that is saying, Lord, I, I need your strength in my life. And, Father, I find myself humbled today. I find myself humbled before you. And so, Father, I pray that if we were to start anywhere, if we were to be prepared in any shape or form spiritually, that we would prepare ourselves by being humble today. And so, Lord, we just humble ourselves before you. We ask, Father, that we, we would recognize, Lord, that you are working in our hearts this morning. That, Lord, you want to bring that work to completion right now. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around, and you're just, you're just speaking to the Lord right now. You're saying, Lord, I'm humbled before you, and I need your work in my life, and I need your anointing, and I, I need your grace. And, Father, I'm just humbled before you. 
your head's bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, you're responding that way today, I want to invite you just to lift your hand. You're talking to the Lord right now. Just lift your hand right there, just between you and the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I'm humbled before you. God bless you. Somebody else, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Five or six of you. Somebody else just saying, Lord, I'm humbled before you right now. God bless you. Lord, I need to be clothed in your humility. I need to have the uniform of the believer on. And I've been a little proud. I've been maybe even a little standoffish to your plan and your will for my life. And so, Lord Jesus, today I want to bring this work to completion and be humbled before you right now. You're praying that right now. Pray that to the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else. Lord, thank you, Father, for helping me. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for helping me be humble this morning. So we pray all these things. Because we know, Lord, that you're faithful. That you answer prayer. That you're good, Father, in season, out of season. And so, Lord, we just worship you. We praise you as we're humble before you this morning. We love you, Jesus. I want to invite us to stand. Let's stand together. And let's worship the Lord. As our worship team leads us this morning in a spirit of true humility and knowledge of grace, be humbled before the Lord. Worship Him and honor Him. I believe God can begin then some great work in you. He'll bring that to completion as you humble yourself before Him this morning. Let's worship.